Okay, well, we have a, a panel for the Sabbath School today, and uh, the topic is mi uh, mission work in the 21st century, our day and age, uh, in, in a special regards to medical missionary work. With us, we have Elder Ted Wilson from the General Conference sitting there in the middle. We're so thankful. Maybe everyone can wave to Elder Wilson and say amen, ha happy amen. Sabbath. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Elder Wilson. It's exciting for us, and as well as Elder Cliff Goldstein. Editor of the Sabbath School Quarterly, he shared his testimony last night. If you missed it, it was recorded. It was fantastic. He shared his, how, how he came to know the Lord from a, a secular Jewish background in New York City um, and was led to the truth and spent time at Wildwood even in that experience and shared about that. We have Dr. Angeline David. Uh, she's our NAD health director. We're grateful that you are with us as well. Um, made the trip, and, and she led a, one of our seminars here. You could also listen to those recordings on, on our website. Um, and let's see here. We have Elder Charles Cleveland here at the, at the beginning. Elder Cleveland used to be a vice president for Wildwood and um, is the current president for Health Education Resources. Been involved in, in uh, self-supporting work most all his life. And um, we have Jesse Zvicker sitting next to him. And Jesse is a, uh, he's a field, uh, field representative for OCI in, the, in Europe. He's currently living in Austria, attending Bogenhof and finishing some education there. He was our director of education for, I believe, it was three years. And he's an entrepreneur, and he's got a passion for sharing Christ in, uh, in the business world, right? And seeing that every lay person is involved in, in uh, missionary work. Um, we also have Elaine Bautista. And Elaine is currently serving as our Southeast Asia Director for Light Ministry. Light is the Lay Institute for Global Health Training. Our headquarters is here at Wildwood. And Elaine has experience. He's worked with us, I think, now for eight years uh, with Light. He's been working in the Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, and, and more. Um, we have Michelle Dukamis on the end. Michelle is our current Director of Education. And uh, she has experience in, in evangelism. She was leading out in the SALT program over at Southern. And uh, we're gl glad that you're with us as well. Okay. Well, without any uh, further, uh, I think we've, we've got enough mics there for you all. So we're going to have, we've got 10 questions. And we'd, uh, I'll direct some of the questions to, uh, to specific individuals. And so we've got about five minutes per question approximate. We can give a little more or less to, to a couple different ones. Now, one thing that we wanted to start with. Ellen White used the term medical missionary work extensively in her writings. Um, many Seventh-day Adventists understand this to mean the kind of work that Adventist health professionals do. In Spanish and Portuguese, it translates literally doctor missionary, which uh, brings an even narrower point of view to it. Yet E.G. White wrote in the seventh volume of the Testimonies, page 62, that we have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. So the question is, what exactly did Ellen White mean when she spoke about medical missionary work, and what does it look like? Elder Wilson, could you get us started? Uh, you, 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 can, uh, you can begin. Thank you. Uh, let me just express uh, what a great privilege it is to be at Wildwood today. And to have us looking at what has happened and what will happen, and the theme, Greater Works, looking back, moving forward. I think as we focus on medical missionary work, 
that is one of the key blessings and uh, contributions that Wildwood has made. Medical missionary work is a very misunderstood term. As you've rightly indicated, uh, James, it's, it, people have kind of misunderstood it to be people who are professionals in the area of health. Certainly that is included. In fact, that's a very prominent feature. We're told that Jesus spent more time healing than he did preaching. Now that ought to give us a clue as to what medical missionary work is supposed to be in God's modern church at the very end of time. And let me tell you, I believe that Jesus is coming very soon. Amen. Uh, so he expects everybody to be involved in it, and he expects us to carry out his ministry, physically, mentally, socially, spiritually. Everybody can do something in the area of medical missionary work. Uh, how difficult is it after reading a little, after training a little bit, and, and, and letting the Lord lead you as you've read Scripture and Spirit of Prophecy, how difficult is it to share the eight natural remedies with a neighbor? Right. I mean, you can do it in a very practical way. Right. The books that Ellen White wrote specifically about medical missionary work, uh, ministry of healing, medical ministry, uh, councils on health, etc., they're not just for health professionals. They're for all of us. Amen. And uh, later today, I'm going to read a quotation about how ministers ought to be very much interested in medical missionary work. Amen. We have tried in the last uh, three years, especially, to give an emphasis to the world field about what we are calling, which is essentially medical missionary work, comprehensive health ministry means everybody is involved, okay. not just the health ministry's department, which is to lead the way, but all of us are to be involved in medical missionary work, comprehensive health ministry, helping people to understand spiritual and physical health. So medical missionary work is for all of us. Amen. God will help us to find ways in which to touch the lives of people where they hurt. Amen. Thank you so much. Jesse, you want to... Yeah, I love the Ellen White quote from Medical Ministry where she says, medical missionary work is the gospel in practice. It is the gospel practically carried out. It is the compassion of Christ revealed. So it's more of an attitude that we have towards people than even, than even physiological teaching, physiological health laws, you know. That is part of medical missionary work, but it's even more than that. It's, it's actually the gospel in practical ways, in, in, in being nice to, to the people around us, right? And just caring for people and, and visiting the sick and, and, and in prison and so forth, you know, and just giving some bread to somebody. You know? and so it's very, very basic, and it can get to so high competencies until to all to the surgeons and to the hospitals and, and so forth. So it's... So it's has all the levels that engages really all of us. And concerning the translation thing, you know, my wife and I, we, we have a, a translation company. And so I'm very sensitive to this topic of, of translating. And unfortunately, in some of the fields, even in, in German, where it wouldn't have had to be translated as physicians, missionary work, it, it was translated that way. And, and so medical missionary work suddenly was 100 years ago you know when it was translated it was so reduced to just 
a few people doing that kind of work that most of the church members just felt like off of the hook. You know, like, I don't have to do this. Yeah, this is for physicians. And so, and so um, actually, I'm very excited about, about translating, especially Ellen White writings, into, into local languages and really making sure that these things get translated in a way that really, really helps the work to, to, to progress. Because many people, especially, I'm from Switzerland, so in Switzerland, when I came back from mission school, you know, they taught me all about restaurant work and medical missionary work and, and doing health food stores and, and, and sanitarian work. And, and I would share this with people in, in, in my local church. Nobody had a clue what I was talking about. They had never heard of it, you know. And I'm like, oh, of course, no, no wonder nobody's heard about it because they haven't, you know, because many of these books, medical ministry, book evangelism, councils on health, you know, these things are not translated. So, so of course, they're not going to know, right? So, anyway, so this, to me, is, I think it's a big, it's a big thing yeah. to get everybody involved. Yeah, I appreciate that, that thought. And, Elder, follow that up. Could I just interject one yes, thing? I get very excited when yeah. you talk about yeah. medical <laughs> missionary work. Um, <laughs> It is, and I'll follow up a little bit further in the sermon, it is to be one of the most important keys to reach the big cities. Amen. Uh, Amen. When we were in New York, when I worked there, we tried to do that work. Uh, Elder Cleveland was at that time at Mountain Missionary Institute up right. in New Hampshire, I think it was, assisted uh, to a certain extent in New York. Uh, medical missionary work, we're told, is the best work you can do in New York. That's what Ellen White yeah. said. So. As you think of Chattanooga, mm -hmm. as you think of other large cities where you can make an impact from Wildwood, mm -hmm. medical missionary work is key to our reaching millions of people in the cities. Amen. Well, thank you. And uh, I think we all agree of its importance. And uh, yet we face a challenge of not a vast knowledge of medical missionary work. You travel the world, many Adventists are not really too aware of it, or there's confusion of what it means and so forth. And I. I like the, the concept or the, the language, comprehensive health ministry. We've also used health evangelism to try to convey these thoughts. Um, Elder Cleveland, you have pretty much dedicated your life to medical missionary work. Um, what could be done to, um, to further the education and better train and, and, uh, our church members and, and get a better awareness about medical missionary work or comprehensive health ministry? Thank you very much. Well, it's a privilege to see and encourage our lay people to get more involved. I've, as a pastor and as a health educator, we have often tried to motivate our people from the pulpit to do, I'll, I'll say both, to do more Bible work, more Bible studies, do more medical missionary work. And yet, we can challenge people with the counsel, but it's a lot better if we can lead them by an example. And uh, there are different ways. I'm, I'm very happy formal training. Not everybody can come to Wildwood or Uchi Pines or Eden Valley or some of our other schools. But now we have excellent online opportunities for people. So when they get the vision, there are now tools available that weren't available even 10 years ago. And that's a blessing. Uh, two things I want to mention on this particular point on educating our church members. Uh, first of all, uh, I find in a local church, I'll use that as an example, I'm living about an hour from here in Dunlap, Tennessee, and I serve as the health director for 
our church. I have an excellent health committee of five. We work together. We meet every month. We plan a year ahead for what we want to do in our community. And by getting just a core of people who are dedicated and interested in this kind of work to plan programs that can draw in other members, you don't have to preach a lot of sermons when you're starting to do programs that people can say to themselves, I could do that. That's something I can relate to. And so we, we, don't, we just lead and, and plan different opportunities. Another way that we often overlook, and that is that in every local community, the county health department is struggling in several ways. Tennessee, for instance, has some of the highest diabetes rates, obesity rates, educational problems, but we're not alone. But these people in the county are usually underfunded and under-manpowered, and they really welcome lay involvement. And so we often don't realize that. I've been a member of the Sequatchie County Health Department volunteer for eight years now. And they meet every month, and they talk about what to do in the schools, what to do in the public. And as you sit and, and, and meet with them and, and just listen for a while, get acquainted, eventually you're able to offer things they don't even have access to because the Adventist church is rich in health ministry. And they're much more limited. And they love to do some projects, but they don't seem to seem to know how to get it off the ground so easily. One example, I was helping a nearby church in the Jasper area uh, to launch the reversing diabetes program. They asked me if I'd come and get them started several years ago. When the my county health department heard that I went over to the other county and helped them start a reversing diabetes program, they said, but why aren't you doing one here? And they said, we'll pay for everything. We'll advertise it. We'll, we'll get it out to the media if you'll just do the program. That wouldn't have happened if we weren't spending time with them <clears throat> on a regular basis. So when we mingle with the local people, when we lead our church members through example, we can get more and more people involved. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate those thoughts. Um, there's there's uh, one statement I'd like to read here from Councils on Health. Page 524, it reads, Medical mission work is in no case to be divorced from the gospel ministry. The Lord has specified that the two shall be as closely connected as the arm is with the body. Without this union, notice, neither part of the work is complete. We've experienced that when this union is realized, we see a great success. And... Um, when pastors especially are supportive and motivated about the health message, the health initiatives of the church find a lot more success in their communities. Um, Elder Wilson, what could be done or what is being done to in increase awareness and knowledge of the health message amongst pastors? As I mentioned, we have launched a very strong emphasis on comprehensive health ministry, a blended ministry so that pastors, health professionals, church members are all understanding how this is to fit together as a hand in a glove. Obviously, in our 
promotion at different meetings that we hold. Uh, we try to help pastors fully comprehend or understand that they are key to helping church members understand better uh, what it means to be part of, of medical missionary work. Unfortunately, many pastors divorce health from their own activities thinking that that's the purview of some health professional rather than recognizing that it is part and parcel of the complete mm -hmm. gospel mm -hmm. and that it is uh, to be used as an example for people, even in the pastor's own personal life, that health reform is vital, it's essential, because people are watching, people observe, mm -hmm. and what you do speaks a lot louder than what you say. Amen. So certainly uh, our health ministries department, uh, Dr. Peter Landless, in conjunction, of course, with North America and, and so many other of our divisions, uh, they are trying to help everyone understand that this is comprehensive. It isn't segmented. It isn't just to belong to the health ministries department. Everybody should be involved. Now, one of the most important things I think that we need to be emphasizing is when we hold meetings, uh, which we do uh, around the world, international Bible and conferences, we hold them for pastors, academicians and others to help people stay very close to Bible truth. That's the main aim. In those meetings, we need to be giving strong emphasis, and I believe Dr. Landless has been working closely with those to try and help pastors understand the dynamic of health ministries and that it's to be part of our proclamation. And I think... Uh, we're going to have to give even more emphasis so that people don't look at health reform, at uh, living a healthy lifestyle, as just some kind of tacked-on uh, option that maybe yeah. is a nice hook to get people into uh -huh. the church, right. which it isn't. It's part it's and parcel right. of everything we do. Mm -hmm. right. So I, I would say that one of our biggest challenges, though, is to help pastors fully understand that this is a blended ministry and that they are to have a deep interest in this area. Uh, I think of my, my father's counsel to me. He urged me to not only go to the seminary, but also to go to the School of Health at Loma Linda. And I have never, ever regretted blending those two Amen. in my ministry, yes. in pastoral ministry, and even today. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely invaluable. But for those pastors that didn't take that, have that opportunity, um, you know, one, one instance I'm thinking of is some of our graduates went to Chile from Wildwood, and they're helping the theology school there incorporate, um, this is Jorge, right? He's incorporating, it's an option for the theology students to take some health training. Um, do you see possibilities of that expanding? There's been a couple requests that we've had, or do you have any testimonies of from the beginning, a part of the training that they could receive medical missionary. Angie, do you want to do you want to yeah, speak to that for in the North America? Actually, yes, yeah. I, I I would like to talk to that uh, because as I have been traveling around, and uh, for those of you who don't know, I began my role at the NAD just in April, so I am still learning our field, and I've been very encouraged with what I am learning. 
For example, I was at Andrews University um, a couple of months ago, and they also now have, uh, it's an election for their seminary students to actually learn public health skills as well. So they are working with their School of Public Health to offer this for their students. I met one of the students who is going through that program. Um, I have also been in touch with, Aunt, uh, with Loma Linda University, the School of Public Health. They are looking to offer the same program there as Amen. well. Awesome. So this is certainly yeah. growing in interest, yeah. uh, not just in our acknowledgement of the need, but that there is a desire to, to do this. I do want to address one other mm -hmm. issue, though, because I can speak to this from a personal experience, is that sometimes our pastors, our leadership, they are a little bit wary of bringing health ministry into the church. Mm -hmm. And this is very important that we talk about it openly and address it in a very Christ-like manner. Because what I have been hearing is that they have had a negative experience with health ministry. This is not always the case, certainly, but this does happen where we have a, an individual who may be quite exuberant in what they are promoting for health. And it may cause division in the church, it may cause bad feelings, it may cause new members of the church wonder, I thought I was escaping conflict but we're fighting about cheese or whatever it is. And I can say this because I was the cheese detector at Potluck <laughs> for a few years because I could smell the cheese. And so everybody would ask me, Angie, is this vegan? And, you know, I had to come to a realization that this was tearing hearts apart. And that's not what the Lord wants us to do right now. He's calling us to press together. We need to be very humble. We really need to be humble. We don't want the Lord to humble us. That's very painful. We need to tell him, Lord, I want to be humble now. So we need to approach the introduction of health ministry into our churches, showing the benefits of it and not bringing the conflicts with it. Work where the doors are open and allow the Lord to open the doors wider. Right. You know, in areas, there are whole countries or whole or unions that have had a lot of, well, I like the, what, what's the term you use? Enthu uh, enthusiasm or uh, exuberant. <laughs> I like that. Um, but more like, I'll just say, like more like fanatical, okay? Um, <laughs> and uh, it has made it hard for then some other ministries to even get a foot in the door because it's like, hey, we've already gone there, done that, and we don't want it anymore. What could we do, uh, or what experiences have you all had to, uh, to try to get that door open again right, that, that has been closed? Elaine? Yeah. In, in the Philippines, we've had issues with this cheese issue for many years. However, we as medical missionaries, we just have to be consistent. We have to show them that we are really working with the church and things like this. In the first, first few years in the Philippines, we saw that we were not even allowed to come and speak at the church, but they saw our consistency in how we wanted to really work with the church, and now they invite us to come. Our pastors are, are changing to become vegetarians. And also, not only that, when we do evangelistic series, 
because we go out there with blood pressure cuffs instead of Bibles in the first few weeks, and we push the medical missionary work, and, that's, and they want us to do all their evangelistic series. So I praise the Amen. Lord for the entering wedge of yeah. the medical ministry. That's excellent. And I also want to speak on that. Pastor, and then Andy. Communication is so important. I think yeah. in the past, and not that we really wanted it to be this way, but there developed a them and us. We have the church leaders, and then we have mm -hmm. the self-supporting people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we didn't have the direct connections to them. And so it was easy for rumors to get started. Or if a church leader does find a, a group that is promoting something that's not balanced, then the temptation for them is to think it's all of us or most of us. They know it's not, but then how do they deal with it? They're, they don't know them all either. Mm -hmm. And lay people move so quickly uh, in what they're doing. And so uh, it, it's frustrating for church leaders. The, the quickest way to solve the frustration is if we as self-supporters will reach out to our church leaders and, and take the effort. Don't make them chase you, you chase them. And that's the least we can do. When we do that and they see our attitude, then we can begin to intervene. Then we can begin to differentiate that this is not us, this is not our group. And often we might even be able to work with the other lay group that might be unbalanced. But um, so communication, spending time together, uh, as Angie's already touched on as well, uh, this is very important. I'm so thankful for the, the way the Lord is blessed. Uh, we have a general conference president that's a born-again medical missionary, started the Appleseed Restaurant in New York City at, right at the, at the foot of the World Trade, Trade Centers. Many people don't know that. Uh, we have Dr. Landless, who has made every effort to try to connect self-supporting work with the division. He invited me to join with all of the division directors when they met in March so that we will know each other, we can help each other, and if there's some fires, we press together and they, they can get out quicker. Amen. Amen. You know, I think that uh, tendentially fanatical movements um, have a lack of tactfulness. And so as soon as we show a little bit of tactfulness, then immediately the, the, the conference offices and so forth, they immediately think, ah, oh, these are different. Oh, they're... And so, like, I have appreciated a lot working with Wildwood and also with Light that we will not go into any conference and do any one-month training course without getting a written invitation from the conference office inviting us to come there. Amen. And so that yeah. immediately, you know, even certain conferences, they don't even know what we do and what Light does and what Wildwood does. But just because we asked them that we need to get a written invitation they immediately have confidence they're like oh these people are you know they're not just some independent weird you know fanatical reform adventists you know so, so as, as soon as they feel that then suddenly they the 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 barriers are all broken down and and we can immediately enter into the field amen elder i think as we come to the 500th anniversary of the protestant reformation mm -hmm. next year it is a beautiful time for self-supporting work, supporting ministries, and all of us to understand and to help pastors to understand that a sanctified life 
is actually part of Christ's righteousness. We are only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by not eating cheese. However, when you accept the robe of righteousness, you also accept, and that's justification, when you accept then his justifying power, you then accept his sanctifying power, which helps you to grow more and more like him. All of this is Christ's righteousness. It is none of our own. I mean, there's so much in Spirit of Prophecy which helps us to understand that. So I think if, if pastors, and we need to do a better job in communicating this to pastors and to church members, that the whole process of Christ's righteousness is to restore in each of us the image of God. Amen. And that's Amen. why, you know, it says in, in uh, Manuscript 117, written in 1901, every minister of the gospel should be prepared, it says every minister, mm-hmm. to do practical medical missionary work. Okay. The key word, operative word, is practical. Right. And it says the medical missionary work is to be as closely united with the gospel ministry as the arm is united to the body. This is interesting, this next sentence. The reluctance to sh- uh, shown to the promulgations of the principles of health reform is caused by an unwillingness to deny self. So I think as we submit to Christ's righteousness, mm-hmm. he then takes that self, right. self-centeredness away. And medical missionary work and health reform takes on a new meaning, not a fanatical work-your-way-to-heaven approach, but an understanding that it's part of God's whole plan of restoration. So we, we want you to know that we're, we're um, as a school here, training medical missionaries, we're, we're doing the best we can to train balanced, you know, well-rounded medical missionaries. You know, it's not an easy task because, you know, this is uh, maybe something Michelle could speak to. I, I didn't think of asking that question, but what... What can we do from our side to make sure that our, our missionaries going out from this institution, at least, are having coming across the right way and, uh, and not spreading more problems, but actually strengthening the church around the world? Well, James, I think it goes back to the core motive of why we're doing what we're doing. And we are first and foremost, as a school, here to train people to share Jesus. Jesus has to be the core of everything that we're doing. The gospel is the core of all of it. And when that is at the center, then other things start to fall in line around it. It becomes the priorities. The priority is not then just what you eat or how you exercise or whatnot. The core is the gospel, and the rest goes with that. So in our curriculum, that's something that we're really trying to do to hit not only the, the health and the scientific side, but the spiritual side and the practical side. We're working to have a lot more of an evangelistic focus. I have found so much that when we get out and help people, a lot of the petty disagreements go away. Amen. Amen. It's, just, it's just a cause and effect. When we're involved in people's lives, in the messiness of people's lives, in the sharing Christ in people's lives, it starts to change us because we start to realize what matters and what doesn't. It puts things in perspective. And so that is a burden that we have, that our students have a heart for Christ, that we develop them spiritually in a love for Christ, that their personal spirituality grows because as our personal relationship with Christ grows, then we are better able to 
share. There's something about experiencing the grace of Christ for ourselves that kind of just eliminates that judgmental spirit. Mm -hmm. It just disappears when we are having that and we know the grace that Christ has for us. And that is something that we are trying to build in students here and get them, allow them to experience in the community also. Amen. Thank you, Michelle. And one thing I've noticed that it, it starts with the leadership. If the leadership have that attitude or spirit, it, it reflects upon the student body. And so we need, great lead, you know, we need new, good leaders. We need to be praying for more, more workers for the vineyard. The field is definitely ripe. Um, well, I've, I've been reserving a question here for Elder Goldstein. I've been, I've been itching to ask. Um, with your... I think I'm doing too much talking. <laughs> with Elder Goldstein, with your upbringing, I want to take advantage of, of that, your, your experience... Um, and uh, growing up in a secular world in New York City, Jewish background, how have you seen the health message uh, as, how do you see it as a tool that could be used for reaching that, that demographic? Well, or any other advice you have for reaching uh, the... Well, I think it's neutral in the sense that, look, who doesn't care about their health? Everybody, to some degree, gets aches and pains or knows somebody who's... I think everybody at some point is concerned about that. And whereas, you know, sometimes you'll, they'll try with Jewish people. Well, they'll have a thing on archaeology, thinking that'll lure them. That's not going to, they know better than that. Or, or, or some other stuff, but the health is, is neutral. And I, I don't care who they are, whether they're atheist, secular, very religious. I remember when I worked with um, the Van Center in New York City, Juanita Kretschmar. I mean, we'd have these ultra-Orthodox. The Hasids would come on the vans. They would come and they would, these people would normally never commute. We would sometimes even go into the areas. Now, eventually we were warned they're going to bomb us if we keep coming. So even then, they knew. Some of them knew. But the, the point is, what I always thought is good about that, it, the whole health thing, is that even if people, they're anti-religious or they're skeptical of religion, they're interested in that. And if they could come and see, hey, these people really care. There's, they're helping me with a need that I have. They're not trying to shove their, their, their religion down my throat, that, I think, is a very important first steps. Wasn't a, going into a, was it a restaurant or a well, health food store, a part of your story? Yeah, well, in my situation, I wasn't, I was, a, I was not very interested in health. I mean, I, I did not like vegetarians. <laughs> I, didn't, I, had, I didn't know anything about it, but I was just... Well, it was very interesting because I, I think I mentioned this, I was having occult experiences. And I decided I'm going to get into the occult. And on the way over, I just happened to, I was looking for a job. And there's a health food store. So I thought, ah, oh, I'll compromise. I'll even hang around vegetarians if I can get a job. <laughs> you, know, you were so, looking for a job. That's yeah, I was looking for to... a job. I just oh, needed okay. a job. I was a starving writer. <laughs> and I went into the health food store and I mentioned to the guy something about the occult stuff, and he, he puts me in the health food store, locks the door, you know, and starts, he starts telling me about the devil. Well, telling me about the devil back, he might as well told me Santa Claus wasn't going to give me presents if I wasn't good. But then when I left, he handed me 
a book. It says, here, read this book. And I leave and I go over, I was on my way over to the library to get a book on the occult. And I actually got the occult book, spiritualism book, read the first chapter, even practiced the first technique. And I'm walking through the library and literally in one hand, I have for the first time in my life this book on the occult. And in my other hand, I have the book the guy handed me in the health food store. What do you think it was? The great controversy. So, and then about, two, about a night or two later is when I had that experience yeah. that I talked about. And it was, the bottom line, I had no interest in health in the beginning, but these were, the health food store was there. Mm -hmm. It was unobtrusive. Right. You know, if it would have been something religious, I wouldn't have walked into to right. look for a job. It was neutral. And that's why I went in there, and it was through those people that eventually yeah. I became a seventh day. Amen. Amen. So, Thank you. Yeah, so. So the health message, it's, it's, a, it's a... That came later. Yeah, it's an I came to that kicking and screaming the whole way. <laughs> so now I'm it's, very thankful for it. Amen. Now I'm amen, very, amen. very thankful Well, the Lord has funny ways of, of working <laughs> things out. And, um, and he uses that entering wedge and the right arm in different ways. And um, it's an entering wedge to the cities, as Elder Wilson mentioned, to, to the secular, and also to different religions. Um, Elaine... Batista has experience working in um, Indonesia that has the largest Muslim population in the world um, in countries like Thailand, large Buddhism. Uh, Elaine, can you speak to uh, how health is being used in those areas? Well, we have that same principle of having a health food store on the bottom and then a lecture hall on the top. And now, many people... Now, where is that? Why don't you share that's, this, this? That's called Club Sehat, Jakarta. So Indonesia. we have four in the city of Jakarta, but now there's over 10 all over Indonesia. Oh, wow. And we're Amen. using that as Amen. a center of influence. Amen. So every weekend we get at least, in these, each center, we get about 50 to 100 non-Adventists come to our health lectures. We use uh, WhatsApp, BBM, BlackBerry Messenger to broadcast, and then they come, and then we tell them the topics that we have. Many times we've prayed with Muslims. I mean... It's one to 10,000 Adventists per, you know, 10,000 Muslims in Indonesia. Wow. And it's one to 8,000 in Thailand and Cambodia and all these other places. In the Philippines, it's one to 43. So you see where the work is. <laughs> so we, we are heavily emphasizing on health in these because it breaks down all the prejudices. We have prayed many Amen. times with Muslims and Buddhists, and they all get sick, like Elder Goldstein said. Everyone gets sick, aches and pains. But once you show them that you truly care for them, and as a grocery store, we help, we help you know, transform them and just show them. You can't lecture on something without giving them an alternative. Okay. It's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So we have transitional food as well. So if they're, you know, carnivores, and then we go to, you know, lacto-ovo, right, things like this. So until we really help them with showing sympathy for them, Christ's method works everywhere. And they all believe in God, they all believe in karma, and it's just trying to bridge our belief with theirs. Amen, amen, thank you. Um, now, one, one thing that I've been thinking uh, recently, and I want to direct this question to Dr. Angie. Um, we, so we have a concept of every member of the church being involved in health ministries, and every member of the church taking hold of medical missionary work. Yet we also have Adventist health professionals. And how, 
how can these two sync together and, and work together? So even just on the health side, because we, we've talked about pastors working together and the importance of unity and so forth. But even on the health side, it seems like we've got, we've got lay, you know, lay kind of ministries and medical missionary work in general and so forth. And then we have, you know, we have lifestyle centers, restaurants, and then we have large medical facilities in Loma Linda and, and, and in Kettering and elsewhere. How can we, do you have some concept you've been dreaming about of, uh, or how can we all even unite more? Because with unity, we'll have more power. Well, I, uh, I wish I had the answers, but I'm glad that the Lord gives us the answers. <laughs> Amen. Yes, Amen. It, it is a tough question, not because it's not possible, right. but because um, I think for, for various reasons, things have become fragmented. But I want to encourage you, because what I have noticed here is that things are coming together now. And I believe that this is the power of the Lord. Um, it, it cannot be explained otherwise. And we wouldn't want it otherwise. Um, but there is an interest across all of those various levels and entities of coming closer together. And so we, we certainly want to very proactively encourage and help to facilitate that. Uh, Amen. Now, when, when we're talking about how does a health professional work with someone who isn't, well, how do they not work with someone who is not trained as a medical doctor, for example? When you go to a hospital, when you go to a, a, a clinic, when you go to your physician's office, is there only, are there only medical professionals working there? No. You have janitors. You have uh, people answering the telephones. You have individuals um, who are just at the door smiling. These are all very, very important and integral to the proper functioning of every single entity. Even here at our Lifestyle Center. I had the privilege of having hydrotherapy yesterday, and Amen. we had... How'd that go, uh, by the way? It was amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. And I had one therapist, but I had, there was someone else who had to make the appointment for us, and a good friend who made the phone call. And so there are many other people involved in health ministry. Um, some of you may have heard of your best pathways to health. Mm. If any of you have been there, you will see five-year-olds doing health ministry. Why? Because they are smiling. They're helping to hand out food. They're helping to, to guide people from one station to the other. This is all part of health ministry. We have too narrow a view of what health ministry is. It includes all of those supporting elements that come to help the health, health professional do what they need to do as well. It's, yeah, it's written you. in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, the body. Every part of the body is an integral part. Now, the, the right arm is not disconnected from the body. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have its own heart, its own circulation, its own whatever. It's... Everything is integrated. And if we learn those principles, I think we'll find that along the way, whether, we're not, whether or not we're trained professionally, we have a role to play in, in medical Amen. ministry. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, Elder Cleveland, to add to that? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, one example I was thinking about that I think is uh, 
Is it okay? Is it on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, your your best pathway to health close. is is a is a tremendous opportunity, and it's a it's a breakthrough for our church because it has suddenly brought thousands of Adventist lay people and medical professionals literally working together. And you just go to one of those and you just get infected. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's amazing. And there's a work for everybody. My wife and I just came back from going to the last one at Beckley, West Virginia. She's drawing blood. I'm working in, in counseling, mental health. That was their greatest need. They didn't know that when they scheduled for Beckley, West Virginia, to have the Pathway for Health, that there was going to be a flood of catastrophic level that would proceed the week before, when that had been planned months before. So right. there was a, a tremendous opportunity there. Amen. And I was, uh, I've never been asked to do mental health counseling, but they asked me to bend as much as I could and pitch in because they had a lot of people that wanted to talk about what they'd been through. And I saw there, for the first time in, in this particular role, that when you are dealing with someone that's brought into you to counsel in a little session, little room they give you, that is feeling great needs, it just takes two or three minutes and they're opened up to sharing their whole life experience. Why did this happen to me? They're talking about the divorce, they're talking about the flood, they're talking about child custody. And in, and in just a few minutes, I'm placing books in their hands like I've, so easily that I've never done before because they're, they're riveted on trying to understand why they're in the situation they're in. And we have the books to help answer them. So there's a way Amen. that thousands of Adventists can get together working unitedly with our medical professionals as well. Amen. Now, Michelle, I'm, I'm coming your way here. We, we've already read a statement that, that mentioned that the medical mission work should not be divorced from the gospel. And it, it finished by saying, Without this union, neither part of the work is complete. It's, it's easy for us to maybe cast blame on the gospel work and say, where's the health part? Um, but we have to, you know, it swings both ways. So how, how can we be sure that the health work doesn't leave out the gospel work? Do you have any, any uh, ideas on that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me how we, we tend to naturally work in, in silos. And praise the Lord, he gives us burdens for different portions of the work, but then maybe we don't fully see the importance of other portions of the work. I, I started out in ministry doing literature ministry, and I tell you, the people in literature ministry will tell you that this is going to finish the work yeah. and how this is the most important thing we can do. And I worked with public evangelism. <laughs> I worked with It Is Written doing the, the media side. I've worked with Bible work training a lot and now health work. And everyone seems to feel like their piece is like the piece that is going to do it. But you know what? But it's the health one, right? No, I'm just kidding. It is, <laughs> but it's all the other ones too. That's right, amen. And amen. that's the whole point, is that it really takes all of the pieces together to do the work. It's, it's the idea of Christ's method, that Christ mingled with people. He started winning the confidence and meeting needs, and then he bids them follow me. So sometimes we focus and we do really well on the health part as the entering wedge, but you know what? If we don't know how to then take people the next level, we don't reap a harvest. We have to know how to then be able to introduce the gospel, how to share with people. 
we need all the pieces together. And if we leave out some of those pieces, then it's like planting without cultivating or cultivating without harvesting or harvesting without preserving. And if you miss any part, your cycle falls apart. Yeah. And so, yeah. so that's what I see is it's, it's not one above the other. It's seeing how can we link these pieces together. And maybe in some past times, health ministries has not done the best job with, with connecting with the gospel ministry or with other parts of the cycle. And I think the more we do that bridge, the more that we link together and work together on this, the more effective and the more multiplication we're going to see in our results. Yeah, amen. Amen. I appreciate that. Elaine, you got a thought on that? Yeah, in, in our health ministry, it's an entering wedge. And then by the time we do counseling, now we do family. Oh, you got problems with your family. They got mental health and this. We start mm-hmm. pointing them to Jesus and then Bible studies and, you know, other things. And now we just open a cancer center. This is not for treatment. It's just for counseling, for cancer, for cancer survivors, counseling the ones who are going through the cancer. And they have the, gone through the cycle. So I believe in Michelle, it's a cycle and we need to catch every little part so we can put it all together. Our main goal is that Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, uh, I've got a statement here from 8th volume of the Testimonies, page 148. It says, Not one in a hundred among us, not one in a hundred among us is doing anything beyond engaging in common worldly enterprises. We are not half awake to the worth of souls for whom Christ has died. Jesse, this question's for you. How can a lay person be involved in business and yet still keep their spiritual life alive and also be witnessing for Christ? You know, I really love that quote. It's, to me, actually Ellen White Wright wrote this right, I think right after the general conference session in 1901, when it was reorganized to really systematically get into spread the gospel unto all the nations. And so it was there when she was kind of diagnosing the church, saying not one in a hundred among us, among church members, is doing anything to advance the gospel, right? They were just engaging in common worldly enterprises. And, and, um, and she was basically calling the church and the church members, to get into it in, in the context, she says, there will be thousands where, where there is one today proclaiming the gospel to heathen lands. Thousands. There will be thousands. And so, and so it was at the time when it was the biggest push to go into South America, to go into Africa, to go into uh, many parts of, of, um, of Asia and so forth. And so, and so but... The missionaries were lacking, and so she's saying this, and, and I think, and, and the major problem was that most of them were just engaging in common worldly enterprises. And so, actually, I think it's providential that it was just a few years after that, two or three years after that, that God called for the ministry of Madison to get started. True. In this context, yeah, mm-hmm. of actually getting people um, trained in practical trades and we usually talk about Madison and talk about the, the missionary focus and all the spiritual things. But we forget that Madison, um, from, my, from my research at least, they had over 50 businesses run on campus. And 27 of them were run by the students themselves. 
I mean, I could not believe this when I read this. It's like, whoa, this training was highly practical, highly focused on trades, and focused on how to monetize those trades. And at the same time, I mean, so the business side, the entrepreneurship side that was being trained, and at the same time, it was using those tools to really reach people through their business, with their customers, with their health food stores and their restaurants and, the, and all of the, I mean, the Madison Foods, they, they invented 30 different kinds of, of uh, soy meat, uh, soy substitute products, soy milk, soy cheese, soy meat, soy everything. And they, and I mean, very amazing actually what they did at that time. And they had all kinds of other businesses, all, business, uh, all these businesses running. So, so I saw that, that, this, that the business side of things actually is very, very useful. And, and, and I think the world, LMI makes these comments, the world has understood, has understood something about this business side of things more than we have. For instance, if we look at how many McDonald's restaurants there are worldwide, you know, they're not afraid of profit, you know. They have, they have so many restaurants. We, they have 10 times more restaurants than we have in all of our Avenues restaurants combined, right? It's like, why is that? And so, and I think that, well, there's many reasons for that. But I think one of them is that they're, they're really not afraid of, of profit, maybe, you know, and of, of, of being able to do business on a very high level. And, of course, you know, we should not do... Uh, Hamburgers, you know, or their kind of hamburgers, um, but in our restaurants. But, but I think that there's, there's something that we can really learn. And I've seen this many times, and it can be any type of business. Traditionally, we've always talked about health food stores and restaurants and sanitariums, and that's good. And I think we really need to do a lot of those things. But I've seen people, like there's a friend in Chile of mine. He has a, he has a, a, a tire company, a tire company. And he has actually, it's the biggest tire company in the whole country of Chile, in South America. He has big, it almost looks like you're walking into a Walmart, but just for tires. And everybody goes there. Everybody that goes there, they walk in, they see all the health expo banners on the sides. And they see, <laughs> instead of on the walls, uh, instead of having, you know what they have, what kind of pictures they have in tire stores and mechanic shops, right? Yeah. Poor, poor ladies, right? They don't have enough money to buy clothes. You know, and but instead of these kind of pictures, they have they put um, Bible verses. They have like final events written out, you know, on the walls of their of their store. And at, and every person they they were giving out six thousand steps to Christ every week to every person that walked in and, and bought something in their store. They said, thank you for shopping with us. Here's a present for you. Here's a Steps to Christ or a great controversy. You know, if they've come again, you know, then they'll give them a great controversy or, or maybe, a, maybe, a, maybe a, a desire of ages first and then a great controversy. You know, they, they're a very amazing what, what one company does through, through a tire company. I'm like, whoa, we can use any type of company to... To really advance the work of God. And they, they make more. They have a whole department. A missionary department. They had 14 people employed. Just to follow up on calls of their customers. Asking for Bible studies. Uh, visiting them in their homes. I mean just amazing. And I'm like. Whoa. 
Amen. This is what this is part of medical missionary work even if it's even if it's not directly on health, you know? It's ministering to the need. And this is what I love about business. If they don't minister to a need, the business will die, you know. Amen. It's very real. And so and so it's very nice they have to do actually they have to do Christ's method, you know? It's the, it's the only way they're going to succeed as a business. So it's really a blessing on how to get business people involved into ministry and that means that the manager of the of the company suddenly becomes a missionary manager and the cashier becomes a missionary cashier amen, amen. am i taking the, too the much time the Sorry. statement the, because the statement doesn't say um don't so do business about it, it says don't do anything they're not doing anything beyond business so it doesn't we can do business but we need to do something more than that and have our sights higher than that yeah and not everybody needs to become a pastor you know this is what i was taught mm -hmm. when i mm -hmm. when i first got converted at 18 they said, if you want to work for God full-time, you've got to be a pastor. There's no other way. Or you can become a missionary and work out right. in the jungle, you know, fighting against crocodiles. That was the other option, right? And, and so, and so and, Amen. but Thank suddenly you. I found out, yeah. whoa, business opens up a field. We can use all the talents that God has given right. us, all the lay members Amen. with all of their talents, using it in, in these kind of companies Amen. to advance the gospel work. Amen. Amen. In closing... We're going to read from Ninth Testimonies, page 116. It reads, The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the lay, uh, excuse me, lost myself, until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. I think we all agree this morning that we need more unity. This is Christ's prayer from John chapter 17, and he wants to see it realized in the health work, but as people. All right, pastors, lay people, health professionals, missionaries, everybody, entrepreneurs, businessmen and women, whatever profession, whatever work, keeping our eyes focused on the work that God has given to us, which is to spread the gospel to the entire world, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I want to thank you all for joining us and being a part of the panel. I wish we had more time, but we're, we've run out. So I'm going to invite Sean Craig to come up, and he's going to have our final for us. Can you say amen? amen? Wasn't that an amazing uh, panel discussion? The good news is it's all recorded, so if you miss a point, you can always go back to the website and catch the recording again. Let's close with a word of prayer. Eternal Father, Lord, we're so grateful that you've given us such a wealth of knowledge through inspired writings, Lord, that we're, whereas we can take this information, apply it to our lives, and Lord, help it to change ourselves and the world around us. Father, we're so grateful that you've given the men and women on the stage the experiences that you have, that they've been able to share with us what they've learned through the years in ministering to others and giving us an idea of what we can possibly do in the future in terms of advancing your work through medical missionary work. Father, Simply today, we're asking that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would inspire us, that you would invigorate us, Lord, to be the type of people you've called and created us to be. Father, do this and much more. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.